0: We get to start a brand new series today. I always love it when we start new series. And um, uh, today's kind of the overview. We get to talk about it a little bit. And the title of the series is Equipping the Work of Ministry. And since we just finished a series about the fruit of the Spirit, uh, I wanted to, to kind of turn things around and let's talk about the gifts of the Spirit uh, I think these two things really go hand in hand, and if you talk about one, I think it's important to talk about the other. And so the fruit of the Spirit are, are, is that, are those characteristics that, uh, that are, we are transformed to be more like Christ. And, you know, The love, the joy, the peace, the patience, the goodness, all that stuff that we've been talking about, those are the fruit of the Spirit, and all of those things should be developing in your life uh, as we stay connected to the vine. But the gifts of the Spirit, or spiritual gifts, are a little bit different. Instead of saying all of you need to have all these gifts, uh, spiritual gifts are a little bit different because you get a gift, uh, right? We, we receive a gift from, from God that we are to use to build up the body of Christ. And that's really what we're going to be talking about. If Matthew 28 is our mission to go and make disciples then I've heard Ephesians 4 called our constitution for the church. This is how we do it. Right? If, if we're called to go and make disciples, Ephesians 4 kind of describes what a healthy church looks like that's actually fulfilling the mission that God has given them. So uh, that's what we're going to be talking about today. We're going to be in Ephesians, uh, and and I'll be there, and uh, we'll kind of be in Ephesians chapter 4 here in a few minutes. But I wanted to share about... Uh, Uh, an experience I had this week so I got a call last week from my son-in-law Philip and he was like okay what are you doing Wednesday night can you come up to Blacksburg and I'm like I'm supposed to have an elders meeting at church And he's like I can get us in to watch the Virginia Tech football practice and I'm like I'm there (laughs) forget church the elders they can wait Um, we'll reschedule I'm gonna be there and so a company he worked with um uh, it was is an official sponsor of Virginia Tech and they invited Philip to come and do this meet and greet and we got to tour all the athletic facilities uh, we got to hear uh, from the you know the Virginia Tech announcer and we got to go down on the football field and walk across the football field and go through the tunnel and and then we got to you know tour the weight room all the new athletic facilities that they built and I've been there uh, some in the past, uh, when I worked with Nautilus, I was able to go and and do some work in the the, the weight rooms there, uh, taking prototype machines and stuff. But this is like 15 years ago, so all this stuff is now new. I mean, it, and so we got to do that, and then we got to come out and actually stand on the sidelines and watch the entire practice. Really amazing experience. Y'all know I'm a hokey. I went there, uh, and so it was really neat to see and. And there's just so much like, to, to take in because there's so much happening. One, if you're not familiar with college athletics, it's not just a sport. It is a multi-million dollar business now, okay? Uh, let's be honest. If they have a, a, a good season, a winning season versus, versus a, a crappy season, we're talking a difference of probably 20, 30 million dollars, so uh when you look through the facilities it's not like your high school weight room i mean this is like amazing how many millions of dollars have been spent on these facilities locker rooms the theater rooms the dining hall all the stuff i mean it just it's 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 crazy to see and um and then when we got out to watch the practice it was really interesting because um, i didn't really know what to expect, but Everything was like, it, it, you talk about like everybody had a place. Everybody knew what they were supposed to do. The whistle would blow. The, someone They would say something on a loudspeaker. This group would go over here. This position group would go over here. They would do this drill. They would do this drill. <laughs> then they would line up and, and run these plays. And, and you had coaches everywhere. You had interns everywhere. You had players everywhere. There are 125 players and these guys are not little, okay? I'm just going to be honest with you. Uh, I'm standing there thinking, gosh, I'm tiny. You know, I mean, these guys are huge and fast. And you're standing there and you don't realize the speed that they're running. I mean, just craziness watching all this. Uh, but here's the thought that I had. You know, you think about a coach just being on the sideline calling plays. What a coach, his job really is, is to get everybody in the right place and the right position at the right time. He's got to be a, an organizer. He's got to be a, an administrator. He's got to be a recruiter. He's got to do all of... The, what happens during the game is like a very small part of what they actually have to do. And if he wants to be successful, he's got to get a whole team full of good coaches and good players to buy into the system and work together. Now, uh, uh, without... Making too much of a jump here, I, I would say there's something that the church can learn from that. Now for them, their goal is winning. Let's make no mistake about it. Their goal is winning because if they don't win, the coach gets fired and it all starts over and they have to learn everything new. And this year is one of those seasons for tech. If he doesn't win, he's probably gone. So they're under a lot of pressure for the church. Our goal is not winning. Our goal is to lead people to Jesus. Our goal has eternal consequences. And so when I think about that, I think about how many churches, um, nobody knows what anyone's doing. The, The right people aren't in the right places at the right time. It's disorganized. It's not functioning. It's not healthy. Uh, But when you look at a healthy sports team, what you see is a structure in place where everybody doesn't look the same, everyone doesn't have the same gifts, but they're working together for the good of the team. What would it look like? Let me me just ask you that. If you could see a church where the whole body of Christ was using their gifts cooperatively, right, together together. For the good of the kingdom of God. What would it look like if you had leaders encouraging, equipping, training the people to go out on the field and use what God has gifted them with uh, to to lead others to Christ? And, And that's why I say there's something we can learn there. There's something we can take away from that and say, okay, you know, as the church, what does it really look like if we're healthy? What does it look like if we're using our spiritual gifts? And and if I'm going to talk about spiritual gifts, we need to define our terms here. We need to define it. So let me give you a definition of spiritual gifts that we've used that here. Uh, We've used this here at Cornerstone for a number of years um, and came from an old spiritual gifts course called Network. But this is the, the definition it used. Spiritual gifts are special abilities given by the Holy Spirit and distributed to every believer according to God's design and grace for the common good of the body of Christ. A lot in that definition, and I'll unpack a little bit of it, um, and, and then we'll kind of, you know, we'll, we'll jump in a little bit. But uh, one, there's special abilities. It's not just a natural talent. It's not just something you enjoy doing. This is a special ability given to you by God, and it's given to every believer. So if you're here and you're like, I don't have any gifts. Well, if you are a believer, you have at least one gift, if not more. They may be untapped. They may be undiscovered. But you have a gift that God has given you. And why has he given it to you? Is it so you can look good, be popular, get a good uh, job you know no it's for the common good of the body of Christ and so you if your gift is all about making yourself look good that's not a gift that's an idol but if your gift is all about bringing out the best and the others around you about using uh, your gift in cooperation with others for the body of Christ then that's when we start understanding what gifts are all about I've, I've shared before some of you know my story um uh, I would say one of my spiritual gifts is teaching, Um, and and just the reason why is because it's not something that would have come naturally or I knew anything about. I never took any public speaking classes. I actually never really talked in class. Um, Growing up, uh, I had a major speech problem. I took professional speech therapy through the sixth grade. Uh, Jennifer told me after the first service, you've got to slow down talking, so I'm trying to do that this service and not talk so fast because that's one of the things I do I talk too fast and stutter sometimes Um, I've got all these like speech issues in my past so um, when I started getting opportunities to teach I'm like that's not me I don't want to teach I'm not I can't teach I don't and yet God had developed that gift in me given me that gift without me even realizing it Um, And so that's one of those ways you can know it's a spiritual gift sometimes is that you discover something that you didn't even know you had in you. Does that make sense? Uh, And so that's one of the ways you can look at it. Um, And so regardless of what your gift is, though, you have a responsibility to use it to build up the body of Christ. And so uh, just a couple of other things as we jump in on the front end of this series that I'll mention and explain. Uh, When you talk about spiritual gifts, you're going to get a lot of different opinions about what they are and about whether they still exist or can be used today. Um, And and I'll just kind of give you an overview of a couple of the bigger beliefs, and then we'll kind of, as we go through this series, we'll get our answers from Scripture instead of my opinion, okay? Okay. Uh, I think that's the better place to go. Um, But a couple of beliefs about uh, spiritual gifts. One camp would say uh, there's a lot of spiritual gifts listed in Scripture, but they all aren't in use today. Uh, They would be uh, what you would call cessationist that certain gifts have ceased. Um, uh, and that they were for the early church, but they're not in use today. And they would be the, the gifts of signs and wonders or the revelatory gifts. Or the, uh, some of the more miraculous type gifts. Uh, So they would say, well, those are for the early church, but not for us today. On the other end, you would have continuationists who would say, hey, all the gifts have continued today. Uh, And so if it says it in scripture, it's still available today. Um, And then in between that, you have a whole spectrum of people that fall somewhere in the middle. Uh, that okay the gifts are maybe uh, all of them are uh, uh, still available today but many of them are misused so we need to be careful or cautious Uh, and so you've got all those different beliefs in, in the middle so I share that because um, we need to kind of be aware that even in a, in a church like ours, we've probably got people on both ends and, and, and all places in the middle on what they believe. And I want to kind of challenge us to go to Scripture, though, uh, to, to, to find our answers on this. And um, I, I do think it's important. There are a couple of things we can know together uh, that I hope we all would agree on. And one is that, um, that we can say that Scripture is sufficient. I think one of the ways that gifts are misused sometimes is to say, hey, I have a new message from God. Uh, And we're like, wait a minute here, if scripture's sufficient, um, you can't go and add to the Bible. You can't go and say, I've got something that's not in the Bible, but it applies to us today. Uh and I've got that's how cults get started. So I would hope we would be able to say that Scripture is sufficient for uh, what we believe and how we practice our faith. Uh, The second thing I would say is I hope we can agree that the giver of gifts is more important than the gifts themselves. And what I mean by that, right, if we start worshiping the gifts, if we start elevating the gifts themselves, then we've gotten ourselves in a precarious situation, Because it's really about the giver of the gifts instead of the gifts themselves. Because if we use the gifts to build up the body of Christ, it's not about us. It's not about the gifts we have. It's not like, look at me, look at what I can do. It's not about drawing attention to ourselves. It's about drawing attention to Jesus. So I think if we kind of keep those two things in our minds... Um, As we go through, I'm not going to give you a list of all the gifts today. We'll kind of, as we go through the different passages in this series, we'll kind of unpack them. Um, uh, But today we want to talk about the kind of the overall, why do we have gifts? Why do we need them? Why do we use them? Um, And so let's talk about the book of Ephesians a little bit. Um, Ephesians is an interesting book. It was written by Paul, written to the church at Ephesus uh, he wrote them a letter. The first three chapters of this letter uh, have to do with doctrine, have to do with, okay, this is, what, uh, well, this is why Jesus came. This is why he died for you. This is why it's important, right? It's, it's the doctrinal side of things. It kind of builds out why our faith is important, um, why Jesus came, why he had to come to rescue us. And so all that's in, in kind of the first three chapters. And then in chapter four, we have this one word that kind of changes everything, and it's simply therefore, therefore, because of all this that I've just shared, this is how you now live. It turns from doctrine uh, to duty. It turns from, right, from this is what you believe to this is how you practice it. And so it's really an interesting book for us. And, and so he writes and just talks to them about okay, if Jesus uh is, if you if you're a follower of Jesus, it should affect every single aspect of your life. You can't just coast through. No, it's gonna change how you live. And, and so that kind of brings me to my first point this morning, and it's simply this. And if we want to talk about unity. Our unity is based on how we work together for the kingdom. It's based on how we work together for the kingdom. And so it's interesting to me um, that uh, I would say that in our world, and our culture today, uh, we see a lot of churches that are not defined by unity. So let's dig into scripture and see what it looks like to be united. It says in chapter 4, verse 1 of Ephesians, (laughs) Therefore, again, therefore, based on all this that he's already written in chapters one through three, I, a prisoner for serving the Lord, beg you to lead a life worthy of your calling for you have been called by God. Always be humble and gentle. Be patient with each other, making allowance for each other's faults because of your love. Make every effort to keep yourselves united in the Spirit, binding yourselves together with peace, for there is one body and one Spirit, just as you've been called to one glorious hope for the future. There is one Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and Father of all who is over all, in all, and living through all. So we open this chapter with this beautiful picture of unity. This, this, that we're not all going to look the same as followers of Jesus. It's not talking about conformity. It's talking about unity. Um, and, and so one of the key, key characteristics of unity is being patient with people who are different than you. It's being patient with people who may believe slightly different than you, who may have different gifting than you. I've seen more church arguments started because someone has a particular gift or a passion or an ability, and they expect everyone else to be on the same level of passion as they are about it. And so, whatever the issue is, whatever the 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 uh, the gift is, they're like, "Why doesn't everybody else feel the same way about this?" Because we're different. Because God has gifted us and given us different desires and passions. As but we come together. To, as the body of christ and we have patience for people who are different because there's one body because there's one spirit because there's one glorious hope for the future because there's one lord one faith one baptism one god and father of all who is over all, in all and living through all i love how paul pulls all that together it's like okay you've got to get over yourself and focus on jesus Because that's what it's really all about. Now, if I asked you um, over the last year and a half, do you feel like our world is more united or divided? What would you say? So what do we see? We see that really this past year and a half, I think it's been kind of a perfect storm of making people focus on themselves and not really thinking about how we live and work together for the good of the body of Christ. We've forgotten our mission as the church to go and make disciples. And I I, I don't mean to say that cynically, but in the same time, if we look, we see a lot of people arguing about things that aren't that important in, in the scope of eternity. And so we've lost focus on the, hey, there's one body, one spirit, one glorious hope for the future. We've lost our way a little bit. And I think for churches, one of the biggest challenges we face is like, uh, how do you do church when we couldn't meet and, and, and. And, and how do we, you know, how do we bring people that say, I don't need church. I don't want to be part of a church. Or I don't, I can do this on my own. And I think one of the challenges we always face is isolation. And, and you see this, right? When people start walking away from God, what do they do? They isolate themselves from other believers. Uh, they don't attend church. They pull away from support, from friendship, from accountability. Um, and, and isolation can be dangerous. And yet, what we've been told these last 18 months is stay at home, avoid groups of people, don't go out, don't go to church. And so how, and I understand there, you know, we've got to be safe too. And we're trying to balance this and it's all this that that's coming at us. And 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 I'm still worried about the long-term mental health effects of everything that we've gone through these last 18 months. I'm worried about the the generation coming up in this, how they're going to process this and live with this as they go into their young adulthood and adulthood. Um, And so I just want to kind of challenge us a little bit that we need each other. We need each other. Um, if you can do it by yourself, then it's not really the church. And and I share that just to say that I've I've heard and I've seen a lot of people say, you know, I don't really need the church. I don't really need. Well, what that shows me is maybe a faulty understanding of how the body of Christ lives and works together. It's a faulty understanding of how we are gifted And so I'll share this because, you know, I think about this. We've always had an online presence, an online audience. And I'm very thankful that we have people watching this service. We have people watching every service online. And here's what I would share, though. This is the starting point. I'm so glad you have joined us. But you need more in life than just watching something on a screen. You've got to find out how to make that connection, right, and and, and get with other people and and use your gifts. And I understand for some people right now, for safety reasons, online is your best option, and I'm thankful we have it for that very reason. But if you're here locally, I would invite you to figure out how to get involved with us and how we serve our community um, and how we reach out and share Jesus. Uh, If you're not here locally, then I would invite you to find a group of believers somewhere that you can get plugged in with uh, and and actually start using your gifts. And and I think that's so important to live out your faith, to be part of the body of Christ. Um, I think when we look at, this, this whole passage, there's one body, one spirit. We've been called to one glorious hope, one Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God who is over all, in all, and living through all. I just, I, it, call, it just reminds me of the importance that we have to work together to lay aside some of our differences of opinion, to lay aside some of our preferences, to understand we may not all agree on everything, but we can't agree on one thing, and that's who Jesus is. And because of that, we can, we can work together to reach this community for Christ. Now, let's keep, keep going here, and I could get sidetracked and t- talk a lot about that, but let's keep going. Verse 7. However, He has given each one of us a special gift. Through the generosity of Christ. Here it is kind of describing what a spiritual gift is. That is why the scriptures say when he ascended to the heights, he led a crowd of captives. He gave gifts to his people. Notice that it said he ascended. This clearly means that Christ also descended to our lowly world. And the same one who descended is the one who ascended higher than all the heavens so that he might fill the entire universe with himself. Now, these are the gifts uh, this is kind of the important verse I really want to focus on today. These are the gifts that Christ gave to the church. The apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, the pastors, the teachers. Their responsibility is to equip God's people to do His work and to build up the church, the body of Christ. I love this passage because it's almost countercultural in our church world today. You want to have a healthy church, right? Uh, A church that functions best. This is the blueprint. This is our constitution. This is how we put into practice to go and make disciples. Kind of brings me to my next point. The church functions best when the leaders are equipping the people to use their gifts. Now, I'll just kind of share that a healthy church is marked by diversity. In other words, people have different gifts. People have different abilities, different passions, different talents. And they're all coming together to work together. Um, I'm, I'm so thankful, right, that, that when we look at, at this passage, uh, what we see here is, is this blueprint for us. So your church has leaders. You have apostles, you have prophets, evangelists, pastors, and teachers. But their responsibility, does it say their responsibility is to do all the work so everyone else can sit back and watch? But yet, isn't that how most churches function? I'm so thankful to be part of a church that from the very beginning, if you know much about the history of Cornerstone, you know that this verse was very much in our minds. We wanted everybody to be involved in ministry. Uh, If you were here back in 2004 when Cornerstone started, you would know that the church existed for the first three years without a pastor. Just a group of people kind of meeting together, a group of leaders. Uh, we started developing an elder team uh, that shared the load, that kind of handled this together. And when we finally did reach the point in 2007 of hiring a pastor, uh, it was because we needed help in organizing and, and fulfilling what Ephesians 4, 11, and 12 told us. We needed someone. We needed an equipper. And so when I was hired, uh, it was not, hey, Mike, we need you to come in and do everything. In fact, most of our discussions were like, how do we keep from falling into the trap where you're expected to do everything? How do we, how do we set this church up in a way where we can really fulfill uh, the mission that God has given us, the priesthood of believers, that we can get everybody involved in serving and ministering and using their gifts? And so from the very beginning, Cornerstone was set up in a way with plurality of leadership. We have multiple elders. Um, So I'm not expected to fulfill all five of those roles that were listed in Ephesians 4.11. Um, In fact, I I would say that uh, some of those roles, and and let me just kind of go over them, right? The apostle, prophets, evangelists, uh, shepherd or pastor and the teacher. Let me talk about those five things real quick. And and, and because this is... When Paul is, is describing this, he's describing a leadership structure where you've got people with different giftings working together. The apostle is one who is sent. That's what the word apostle meant. And, and so this is, uh, I would say this is the leader who advances the gospel into new places and ge- ge- geographically and generationally and new cultures. And they're always thinking about what can we do next and where can we go and how can we expand They're thinking about the future. A prophet would be someone that understands God's will. They can look at the culture. They can look at what's happening. They can go back and say, this is what God's word says about it. And this is what we need to do as a result. That's someone speaking prophetically into our culture, our world today. They're able to to pull out lessons and things that most people miss because they see uh, really what is happening Evangelist is just someone who is gifted with bringing and sharing the good news, and they go how, and they're just able to contagiously spread, spread and share about the message of the gospel. And then you look at a, a pastor or the shepherd role. Uh, this is the one who is the caretaker, the one who has such care and empathy for those in need who, who, who can't just sit back and watch people hurt. They want to be there to help walk with people through their suffering and through their pain. And then the teacher is the one who just, is, who's just has this passion for the truth. For learning and sharing and correcting false doctrine and, uh, and, and sharing biblical truth and applying it to life. Now, here's the issues. Most churches hire someone and say, we're paying you. You do the work. And we're going to sit back and watch. Now, that, that may sound a little cynical, but that, I've talked to so many pastor, pastors that that's, how, that's the system that they're in. And not only that, they're expected to do all five of those roles. Now, I'm just going to be honest with you. There are very few people on this planet who can do all five things well. And I know for me, there are a few things on that list that I'm just, I, I hope I'm self-aware enough to say, you know, I'm not the best at that. I need other men around me who can fill, who can fill in the gaps for me and, and do those things that I'm weak at. And so while I may be able to teach, I need other people that are good shepherds to come and help me because that, I'm a little weaker in that. Uh, And so uh, while I may be uh, able to look at things prophetically, I'm not good at taking risk and stepping out in faith. I need some apostles around me who can do that and push me and help me understand, hey, we can do this. Uh, Does that make sense? Right. That's how a church really should function. And you get those leaders in place. And then what is their role collectively? It's to equip the people to do the work of ministry. It's for us to come along beside you and say, yes, that's a great idea. And, I, and, I, and I'll just, if you've been here long enough and you've ever come to me, you've probably experienced this. And you said, Mike, the church really needs to do something about fill in the blank, whatever it is. You already know what my response is going to be. I'm just telling you in advance. I'm going to be, that's awesome. How can we help you do that? <laughs> it's a great idea. So how are you going to do it? <laughs> How can we resource you? How can we equip you? How can we help you? Encourage you because that's my job. My job is not go and do everything that you want me to do. It's to help you do what God has called you to do. Does that make sense? That's what a church looks like. Is we use our gifts together to reach this community. That's a balanced approach. That means that your role as a, as a part of the body of Christ is to find your gift and to use it for the sake of the kingdom. It means that you come together and you're just like, okay, how it's, it's not about you. It's not about how you're entertained. It's not about, hey, is this church meeting my needs? It's how I can contribute to the mission. Through your time, through your talent, through your service. That, that's really what a, a healthy church looks like. The saints, uh, the people of God, they do the work of the ministry. I'm here to equip you and help you to do that. And if we can, if, and I'm just saying, if you get a church that understands this concept, concept one, it takes care of all the division and infighting and all, because everybody realizes, okay, it's not about, me being served. The second thing it does, it free, it's, it's so freeing to say, you know what? It, it's not about, oh, Mike won't let us do this or Mike will only do this. No, it's about, okay, how can we come together? There are ministries that we haven't started yet because you haven't come forward yet with your gift to say, God is calling me to do this. That's excites me. That, that really excites me. To say there, there are things yet that we have not done, but we could do and we will do when God releases us to do them. When God uh, helps us understand, hey, this is we've got people in place, let's do it. And so I, I read this this week, it was neat. It said, every member should grow up and use a towel, not a bib. <laughs> and I think about that, right? They should not be immature consumers, but eager servants. Paul Tripp said this, he said, your life, it's so much bigger than a good job, an understanding spouse, or non-delinquent kids. It's bigger than beautiful gardens, nice vacations, and fashionable clothes. In reality, you are part of something immense, something that began before you were born and will continue after you die. God is rescuing fallen humanity, transporting them into his kingdom, and progressively changing them into his likeness, and he wants you to be a part of it. I love that invitation because that's really what this is about. We're inviting you into something so much bigger than yourself. So much bigger than just attending a church and being entertained by the music and the media. No, it's about finding your place in the body of Christ. And what is our goal? Our next point, our goal is Christ likeness. Our goal is Christ likeness. You know, when we talk about the fruit of the spirit, we, we shared that, okay, the, 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 the fruit of the Spirit show that we're in Christ, that Christ is in us, that, that he's working in, in us and transforming us to be more like Jesus. Well, the same thing is really true for a healthy church for, for when we use the gifts of the Spirit. Uh, verse 13 kind of describes this. It says, this will continue Until we all come to such unity in our faith and knowledge of God's Son that we will be mature in the Lord, measuring up to the full and the complete standard of Christ. Then we'll no longer be immature like children. We won't be tossed and blown about by every wind of new teaching. We will not be influenced when people try to trick us with lies so clever that they sound like the truth. Instead, we will speak the truth in love. I'm telling you, church, we need more of this growing in every way more and more like Christ, who is head of his body, the church. He makes the whole body fit together perfectly. As each part does its own special work, it helps the other parts grow so that the whole body is healthy and growing and full of love. You want to see a a, a church that is making an incredible impact? See a church that is living this out. A church that is full of love, that's healthy, that's growing. A church that is speaking the truth in love. A church that is growing to be more and more like Christ. A church that is using their gifts. A church where people have found their place in the body of Christ and they are serving side by side for the kingdom. That is a a powerful image of a church right there. And unfortunately, I don't think we have a whole lot of good examples of that in the world today. This is a perfect picture, though, of, of unity in the church. And that brings me back to, to spiritual gifts. And when we look at spiritual gifts, one of the things we learn is they're not about me. It's not about what I can accomplish. It's not about what I can do. It's about how I can invite other people into this process, into this team. And we can work together to accomplish something so much greater than we could ever do on our own together. And that kind of brings me to my last point this morning that you have a role in the body of Christ and it's needed. Don't ever think, well, I really couldn't do anything at Cornerstone. Don't ever think, well, I don't really have any gifts. No, you have a gift. You have a role and it is needed. If you are not here, then we are missing out. Have you ever thought of that away a little bit? Church attendance, church involvement. If you are not here, we are the ones missing out because your gift is missing. And it's God intended it to be here to be part of this body so that we could work together. And so when you're not here... Uh, It would be like walking around without a hand or without an arm or without a leg or without a foot or without a toe or without an eye. Whatever it is, you know, we're missing a part of the body when you're not here, when you're not involved. And so uh, the reason that talking about spiritual gifts is so important is because when we view church as what we can get out of it, when we view church, this consumer mentality, I come to church, I expect to be entertained. And well, I'm going to go to this church now because this church didn't meet my needs. or This church hurt my feelings or this church. When we make church about us, we are missing the point. It's all about what we can do together as a body of Christ. And, and so it's, it's how can you be a blessing to other people? So as we go through this series, we're going to talk about the different spiritual gifts, how you can use them, uh, what they are, what they mean. Uh, We'll look at the different lists that we have in Scripture, and whether it's in 1 Corinthians and Romans 12, different places. uh, We'll see some some different lists of, of spiritual gifts. Today, we looked at these five leadership gifts, but the reason they exist are to equip other people so that we can work together. And so I just share that right as we close today. And my question to you, my challenge to you is, what is your gift and how are you using it? Now, there's a lot of ways you can figure out what your gifts are. One of the ways there's tons of online assessments out there, tests that you can take. I'm going to push back and say that's not the best way to find out your spiritual gifts. And the reason why is, have you ever taken a, a test and you can kind of flip to the back and find out the answers? and you work backwards, you know what I mean? The answer's in the back of the book. That's what most people do with spiritual gift tests. They look and say, okay, what are the answers? That's what I want, so I'm going to answer the questions. You answer the questions based on what you want to be instead of what God has really gifted you with. And the truth is, for so many people, they don't know their spiritual gifts because they've never been uncomfortable enough to try them. The best way to discover your spiritual gifts is to try serving in different ways, in different areas, to be part of the body of Christ together, where you work together, where you become part of a community, where you can see things in each other that you could never see on your own. And so as you serve, as you learn, as you become part of a community, you'll see some things there that you didn't even know were there to start with. That's how you know how God has gifted you. Over time, as you live in community, those things kind of come to the surface and you say, oh, wait a minute. I didn't know that that was something I could do. I didn't know that that was something I was passionate about. And that's how that that's the absolute best way. And so really, if you want to do that, the way you get there is you cultivate the fruit of the spirit in your life. You live in Christian community and you start serving and volunteering and helping in any way you can to, to, for the sake of the kingdom. And as you do those things, you're going to see some, you're going to see some amazing things happen in your life. And so my challenge is, are you, are you, are you, up, are you up for that? Are you, are you willing to say, are you willing to be uncomfortable enough to try some things instead of saying, no, I would never do that. I could never do that. I would not do that. I wouldn't be good at that. Would you be willing to say, God, use me, put me where you want me to be. And God, I'm open. I'm open. I pray teams, we're going to come back up and we're going to close with a time of worship and response today. Let's pray together. Heavenly Father, I pray today that you would just help us to not be afraid to be uncomfortable for your sake. That you would help us to be able to discover our gifts and use them for the benefit of others. I pray that... Uh, As a church, that we would not be worried about things of insignificance, but instead we would come alongside each other and realize that you have given us such a huge mission. That we need each other. That we need to be able to come alongside each other and use our gifts, our abilities, our talents, and all those things just to keep going and pressing forward. To make disciples. To baptize them. To teach them how to obey what Christ has commanded. That's the mission you've given us. And the way we do that is as leaders, we come together. We help equip people to use their gifts, to find their place in the body of Christ. Heavenly Father, we pray for this community. We know there are many people hurting. We know there are many people sick. We know there are many people who don't have purpose. And my prayer is that we can point them to Jesus. There's one body, one faith, one baptism, one Lord who is in all, over all, and working through all. And Lord, my prayer is that we would be able to just let people see Jesus in us. Lord, I also pray that if there's anybody listening today or here today, that they would be able to say that Jesus is their Lord and their Savior. That they would be able to surrender their life. That they would be able to say that my life is not about me anymore. It's about following you. And so our prayer is that during this time of response. That anybody that needs to make a decision would be able to surrender, submit, yield their life. And say, Heavenly Father, I'm going to trust you. I'm going to live for you. Lord, I'm just thankful for our church. Thankful that we have many people serving in many different ways. And people have different passions different abilities and people that have ideas that have yet to come to fruition but that we'll see you use for the sake of the kingdom so heavenly father just give us the wisdom we need to do what you've called us to do it's in jesus name we pray today all god's people said amen